Hello friends and welcome back to The Complete Tech Heads with me Tom Edwards. This week I am delighted to be joined by Rowley Partanen, I believe I've pronounced that correctly but he can, yeah, uh, he can, he can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, who is an award-winning science writer on energy, nuclear and climate. He's the co-founder of Echo Modernist, um, which has uh, another name which he can introduce uh, very shortly. Uh, I'll get a quick intro in a minute. And the CEO at Think Atom. And this week we are going to be talking about energy with a particular focus on nuclear, which is a subject that I've been fascinated by for some time now. Uh, so I'm really excited to speak to an expert on this, uh, I think, extremely promising. Um, and underused form of energy, but I want to hear what Rowley thinks. So Rowley, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for for the invitation. Awesome. Um, so look, I would love to kick off, first of all, um, just with a brief intro to you. I've given a quick bio there, but just tell me a bit about yourself, how you kind of got interested in energy in general and nuclear in particular and, and what your background is. If you are interested in extending your own healthy lifespan, then I can't recommend this week's partners enough. DoNotAge.org is a company dedicated to helping people like you and me extend their health span through supplementation. On the website, you can check out all of the different supplements that they sell, accompanied by a whole section on the science behind them. You can read the links on where they've got their research from, check out the team that's working on it, and of course, pick up those all important supplements for yourself. So go to the site and use the code CTH for a 10% discount. You can also find the link in the description for this show. Yeah, I'm actually from kind of the communications background myself. I've done uh, IT stuff in the 2000s. Everybody was doing websites and, and stuff like that. And then around 2010, I got interested in, in resource scarcity, energy and climate change, environmental stuff and, and all kind of that. Uh, started reading a lot about that. And then everybody had a blog back then. I don't know if you remember. Uh, so I, I created a blog, <laughs> uh, started blogging and uh, people seemed to like how I kind of discussed different things about peak oil and, and all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I decided to write a book. <clears throat> I did, and that did really well here in, in, in Finland. Uh, so writing the next book became easier because you got granted. The first book was actually nominated for two of the nonfiction book awards here in, here in Finland. And, uh, it was about the peaking of oil demand or production and, and how our society is or is not prepared for for that because i mean oil is our one of our or is the biggest primary energy source and, and keeps keeps the society humming and, and all that mm. all that stuff so it was interesting uh but then i actually got interested also in and it was in 2013 that the book came out uh, then I got interested uh, uh, on, on climate and nuclear a little bit more because I noticed that there's this kind of gap between what the, let's say, uh, literature 
was telling us about nuclear energy, what kind of energy is it? And, and then there's the public debate that was completely different. So I got interested in, in that and uh, me and my co-author Janne Korhonen decided to write a book about that, uh, which became a kind of short, well, maybe a pamphlet, uh, but evidence-based. So we, we do cite our resources. It's not an opinion piece. Uh, called Climate Gamble, is anti-nuclear activism endangering our future? That has been translated to seven languages. Um, and we even went to the Paris COP21 climate negotiations and handed out a couple thousand copies of, of those books, which we crowdfunded. Um, so that was interesting. Um, yeah, how did that go? <laughs> well, I mean, that was, I got my first burnout <laughs> on that, uh, really? on wow. that trip. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was chaotic, uh, fun, chaotic, extremely stressful. For the first couple of days, the books didn't arrive and we were there like doing nothing. Right, and we right. We knew that, okay, we're going to have to hand out a shitload of books, yeah. thousands of books in, 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 in a week or and stuff like that. But in the end, it, it panned out really well. We made some great contacts and, and since then it's been like more and more international career in energy communications, nuclear advocacy analysis and, and stuff like that. And I've written a couple of books after that, the latest one, uh, which I also translated into English is called the age of energy, which kind of delves into the role of how energy enables modern society and, and what mm. are the drawbacks of using energy, like the environmental destruction that it, it might cause and how has energy transitions historically process, progressed and uh, what about the economy? And, and, and it's a really kind of wide ranging book that actually the Finnish version won the science book of the year award here in Finland when it came out. So I recommend you check that out. You can find it on Amazon. For sure. Um, yes. Nice. Yeah. And since then, in, in 2018, we created, uh, founded Think Atom, which is a nonprofit think tank that seeks to study and educate and advocate for how we could use, I guess, both current and advanced nuclear technologies to decarbonize our society uh, faster. Because, I mean, uh, it is an underused and misrepresented and misunderstood technology, this, this mm. nuclear. For sure. Well, look, I, I, and I, I want to get onto that. Um, but first, I kind of want to frame this conversation in just the broader subject of our energy consumption i think there are kind of these these kind of competing views some people on on the left will say that you know essentially we need to be reining ourselves in using less energy becoming you know more at one with mother nature and kind of yeah. you know re regressing to a to a kind of more primeval and and they would say probably more harmonious um species in terms of our, our planetary impact and then there are others on the other side who will say that you know our, our energy consumption is very very closely linked to our progress as a species i would be i think one of those um but like mm. in your estimation how how closely linked is just energy consumption generally with human well-being and human progress and like is this idea of regressing and and, and reducing energy use overall like a, a reasonable aim. 
Um, it depends on where you come from. I mean, uh, we do a lot of dumb stuff with energy <laughs> that we maybe should not do or or could live it live without doing. Sure, uh, sure. and even even uh, be more prosperous and and feel better. Uh, but the problem with that is that it's almost always subjective. So if somebody wants to drive a supercar or a Formula One or fly around, is it really my place to say that you should not be allowed to do that and you cannot be getting any enjoyment because that's dumb? Because it's a subjective yeah, thing. Yeah, it's you who like, thinks that's dumb. Yeah, yeah I, I like... I like playing video games, but maybe my mom thinks that it's stupid. Sure. Uh, but I yeah. see a lot of value and enjoyment in that. So it's always a sub subjective thing. Uh, in general, energy consumption is essential. And uh, the more and the higher quality energy energy we get to use, the better. That's like the general twist of it. Uh, and when you then say the again, better... When you say just just to zero in on that, when you say the better, yeah. like what metrics are we talking here? Is it like you know human happiness, human survival, like nutrition, like it, or is it like all of the above? Um, yeah, it's it's. I could almost say that it's all of the above, but the, these things always have some nuances and complexities. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, and especially but, the quality of energy. Uh, which is something that that is often missed in 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 discussion so uh, okay. let's compare a situation where i can have let's say 10 megawatt hours of energy per year would i rather take it as electricity or as firewood right yeah yeah i imagine probably <laughs> electricity yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> even unless though i, live, I can do some cave stuff. Yeah, I can do some stuff with 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 firewood, but that's it's it's actually it is context dependent. So if I do live in a cave, or if I do live actually in a cabin in the middle of wood uh, of woods, I might want the firewood because I don't have any any electrical appliances there. I, it it would yeah. be useless for yeah, me. Yeah. So it's always so context does dependent. That, does that if if we're talking about the difference between say solar and oil and gas? Does that kind of um, translate to hot and cold countries? Like, would you say that in, in colder countries, you'd, you'd rather have combustible fossil fuels because it's easier to generate heat? Or am I uh, barking up the mm -hmm. wrong tree there? Uh, I mean, yeah, we have different needs. Uh, it's something like minus 20 Celsius here in Finland at the moment. So. Ooh. I am burning firewood in my in my <laughs> stove right. uh, yeah, yeah. because the electricity is extremely expensive at the moment. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So it yeah. depends. Uh, about that, so there is maybe a billion people or a bit less, something like that, that could use a little bit less energy and could be smarter about their energy use and not lose uh, quality of life. Okay. But then there is 7 billion with the opposite situation who would ex uh, gain extreme amounts of life quality by using more energy and more modern energy. For example, 
switching for firewood or charcoal to LPG or electricity for cooking mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So uh, regarding that, so actually in the in the Age of Energy book, we have a discussion about this degrowth that you you mentioned in the, in okay. the beginning. And uh, one of the leading degrowthers here in Finland has actually said that that's that's the most fair and balanced discussion that he has seen about degrowth. So okay. uh, we uh, try to bring kind of the problems and the arguments and the good sides because uh, we cannot increase our energy consumption endlessly, at least if we stay on this planet, which is something that can be debated should we go to Mars and, and, and stuff like that. But and and after some point, additional energy does not bring much value. Right. But that okay. point is always subjective. Right. Okay. And I suppose that the consumption, you know, if we look to the future to, you know, new technologies that might be around the corner, like using insane amounts of GPUs to run large language models, or, you know, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, going to other planets using, you know, there's, there really is no way, as far as I know, to, to send rockets into space other than some kind of combustion. Um, you know, you can't get an electric rocket motor. Um, presumably you could use that... nu nuclear though. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. Let's, yeah, let's not go into that, that because I'm, I don't know almost <laughs> anything about that, but, but that, Man, they are. God, yeah. Imagine sick. nuclear rockets. <laughs> There's some, yeah, that is a, there. that's a thought, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Imagine a terrible accident going behind your back every second. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the, the I mean, imagine exploding in the really atmosphere. <laughs> Jesus. God, yeah. Yeah. Still, I mean, you'd get Anywho, a, a yeah. you'd get a long way Maintain, with a nuclear yeah. engine, wouldn't you? You wouldn't have uh, you wouldn't have booster yeah, stages or some, anything. It just, just keep going all the way to Mars. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. So anyway, so uh, so the, the the point being that that presumably our our demand as a as a species is is only going to continue to increase, and the things and you know, just tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but the things that we deem essential will presumably also increase as these technologies become more central to our lives. Yeah. I mean, that's been the broad trend. Uh, nowadays, I wouldn't consider moving into a house without a gigabit internet, but yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> me 10 years ago or 20 years ago was like, let me get one megabyte. <laughs> so <laughs> the, 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 the level of our demand increases and, and what is considered a basic human right changes with time. Mm. Um, for example, a decent internet connection in Western world is nowadays considered a basic right. Uh, yeah, but that's not yeah, the yeah. case in most of yeah. the world, I, I would, I would guess. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, this AI thing that that has happened recently is, is a good example of things that kind of came out of nowhere, at least as far as the non tech pros are considered, like the so general society. And now it's like growing like crazy and, and uses a lot of electricity. Mm -hmm. uh, so I remember various countries have done these kind of pledges that, okay, we will not use more than this amount of energy or electricity per capita to stay like sustainable and stuff like that. And it's like, that's in, 
in at that time it might have made sense because they calculated that okay we need this and this and this and this and this service yeah. but 10 years 20 years 30 years after you have a dozen new basic human rights yeah yeah uh, i mean at some point i would not consider it impossible that a some kind of ai robot or or something like that would be almost a basic human right for yeah, for yeah. some people in, in AI in, assistant, in, in, yeah, in, yeah, robot. If you're old yeah. to help you get yeah, assist you. Yeah. yeah, I think that's there's there's a more general problem there, and this is a bit of a tangent, but there's a more general problem there with with us as a as a as a species, is that we have too much confidence in our own predictions, you know, and particularly at like governmental levels, they they they'll they'll spend a lot of time calculating predictions about what they think is going to happen, and because all the smartest people in the room have made these predictions. We as a society kind of tend to take them as, as being mm -hmm. extremely reliable. Whereas actually there are, there are, there are far more variables than it, than it's possible for any group of humans to possibly comprehend or calculate, probably even for an AI to comprehend or calculate, you know, especially when you've got a whole planet's worth of atoms floating around. Mm -hmm. um, and you kind of see this argument playing out with the, AI existential risk, you know, the, the people who, who are, kind yeah, of yeah. I mean, uh, you could side. also, maybe you could also think that that's something that gave humans the edge that we were confident in our projections, like historically, yeah, which led true. to kind of the capability of investing into the future because we thought that, okay, this is how it's going to be. And this is what we will need next year, 10 years from now. Yeah. So maybe, that's a great but, but, but then, then again, there is this kind of, if, if you, you shouldn't, I mean, this, maybe this is a, an argument against central planning is that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a dynamic market with, yeah. uh, yeah. The best of, predictor of, wins. Yeah. 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 Or the nimblest one to adapt to the new situation. Yes. Uh, yes. But if you have Absolutely. a stiff central planning that, okay, says that this cannot happen in the next five years, and then it happens anyway, then, then you cannot. Yes. Yeah. No, change absolutely. your act. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I am arguing against central planning. That's exactly what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. So look, uh, so I think we've kind of got a good idea of, of how, how humanity's well-being is, is, is linked to energy consumption generally. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the points you raised about different areas of society having different requirements, and these are going to change in the future. So let's talk about the present now. When we talk about energy mix, overall, generally, most of us are still using fossil fuels, right? As a, as the majority yes. of the energy mix. Uh, yeah, I mean, globally, it's about 80% fossil wow. fuels okay and in the west have uh, you got a, a ballpark it's usually a, maybe a little bit less i mean okay let's take a step back uh what do we use when we use energy most of the people think that and that's one of the problems in the in the, the this kind of energy and climate policy discussion is that we mix electricity and energy like consistently right even though electricity is about 20% of the energy that we use globally and maybe 25% around that in, in the kind of 
developed world. Um, yeah. So the other 75, 80%, most of that is actually heat. Okay. So space heating, but also industrial process, steam right. and, and, yeah, yeah. and hot temperatures like that. Melting steel and then, into rods and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it takes a surprising amount of heat to do interesting things with chemicals yeah, yeah. And, and stuff like that. So that's half of the total energy. Roughly, I'm very roughly here. Uh, and the rest, um, maybe 20, 25% is liquid fuel for transportation mostly, mm. uh, which is now electrifying at, at, at great mm. speed, but, but that's going to take time. So that's, that's one of the first things that we, we think about electricity when we talk about energy and, and yeah. the other way around. Uh, although we should keep them separate and, and be specific at what we are talking about because the energy is five times bigger than just electricity. Yeah. 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 So that means that any challenges we have there, it's going to be five times bigger as well. Yeah. Yeah. Profit and presumably, so when we're talking about <clears throat> industrial processes, just to touch on that briefly, that's mostly going to be gas, right? Yeah, gas. Well, I, I mean, I would say it's mostly gas, but there's a surprising amount of of oil and coal in there as well. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, it depends a little bit. I mean, if you have a gas network and supply of gas, then you you will use gas because it's the easiest, it's the cleanest. Yeah. Uh, it depends on the prices. For example. Uh, we had this gas crisis here in Europe. Uh, mm, indeed. And uh, then some industrial gas users switched fuels. What they did was often they went for a little bit heavier gas, like propane or something like that. So then you're kind of approaching liquids, let's say. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. Is that the, uh, I didn't, most, I didn't it's mostly gas, uh, which is which is why a lot of the European industry is now like quitting. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I saw and, and I saw deindustrializing because gas yeah. has become a little I bit too some, expensive. Some stats about Germany, how their energy consumption is now declining, and I guess in the context <clears> of this, like, is energy consumption a good thing or a bad thing for society? Like, what's your take on that? Like, is that it, it, some people are framing it as a good thing saying that, you know, they're using less energy and it's going to create less carbon. But to me, it kind of seems like, you know, their industrial heartland is, is in decline and it's almost certainly a bad thing. What's your yeah. view? Yeah. Well, there, there is nuance. Uh, again. Uh, yeah. When we had the energy crisis last, like uh, a year ago, I also changed my, my electricity contract ended just as, a, as the shit was hitting the fan in a bad okay. way okay. <laughs> in 2022, end of 2022. Uh, and I went for a spot contract. So like hourly prices. Okay. Uh, and uh, the general consensus and discussion here in Finland was, okay, everybody needs to cut their electricity use and energy use, especially electricity, because the, the Russians had cut the line that we had 1.4 gigawatts 
there was uncertainty about Olkiluoto 3, our new nuclear reactor, whether that's going to be operational or not. So there was a lot of uh, kind of unnecessary excitement <laughs> about whether we will have enough electricity. So we, I actually did a campaign with my family that, okay, we're going to, we're going to cool down the house a couple of degrees, use a little bit more firewood uh, and kind of generally try to use as little electricity as possible. At the same time, we bought an electric car. So right. a lot of our transportation was now electrified, which we charged at home. But still, uh, we managed to cut our electricity use by a third Okay, in the winter. Uh, so you and without our kind of prosperity or, or happiness changing. So there is there is this kind of if electricity is cheap, then you use more of it. But yeah. then when you come go to this kind of industrial applications, it's you can do something with efficiency gains and, and fuel switching and stuff like that. But if the situation persists that your food fuel is expensive or stuff like that, then it's going to be deindustrialization. And that's a bad thing because then people will be laid off. Uh, and that's always problematic. Uh, yeah. You don't want to have, especially young men without a job is, is, it's a, a no good thing in a society. Yeah, <laughs> they, they get angry. They, get angry. And they start grab the bottle, things. and sometimes they drink the bottle, and sometimes they throw the bottle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. I mean, I'm really worried about this trend in Germany. Okay. Uh, because it's going to have an impact politically as well. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. uh, AFD, the party that it's the kind of far right. Yeah, yeah. Al alternative immigration critical. Alternative, I believe. Yeah. yeah they are gaining support and they they gain their support from these kinds of things that people become un unhappy with how yeah. things are they're a populist party so they can they know how to kind of use that uh, and that's yeah that's why i'm very worried about it yeah yeah and 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 germany is a is a a case study in uh nuclear myopia as well i would i would think yeah I was going to say bad energy policy, but right, yeah, go with nuclear myopia as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so look, let's let's. Um, so I I was going to ask you about about decarbonization, but I think we've kind of covered that. Like, just just one quick point on decarbonization. Like, how how urgent do you think it is that we decarbonize extremely rapidly as a species? Like, are we? And I know we've just spoken about how human prediction is often wrong, um, but there seems now to be a kind of the the opinion about the pace of decarbonization seems to be splitting again along political lines, um, where the left will say that it, it's extremely urgent, and the right will say that we <clears throat> prioritize energy security. You know, it, we will do it, but we'll do it over a longer time frame. Um, and there's, I, I suspect there's always going to be nuance in there. But like, what, what's your what's your view on it? How urgent do you do you feel it is? Well, if you take Europe, then decarbonization can also increase energy security because our main source of fossil fuels had been Russia, which has proven to be yeah. extremely unreliable. Uh, so there's that. Decarbonization actually improves. Well, energy security. Security, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
then again, it does matter how you do that decarbonization. Uh, if you build yeah. nuclear reactors, that's extremely energy secure because they're reliable and, and produce stable base load. But if you do it with wind and solar, that's, that's good. Uh, but at certain point, you might run into troubles because of the unpredictability and variability of the production profile. So for example, at the start of the year, we had record prices here in Finland because it was it had it had been very cold for a week, and then there was problems with some some uh, thermal power plants as well as not that much wind uh, and well almost no solar because it's winter. Uh, so we had extremely high prices mm. for a couple of days. Um, so we do need to decarbonize. We need to be smart about it. Uh, the, the the problem with this debate, in in my view, in the West, is that some people use it as an excuse to do anything, and then some people don't want to do anything. Yeah, uh, because again, it's it's a little bit arrogant to assume that we can tell the 7 billion people around the world that would like to use more energy that now you need to stop yeah. what you're doing and, and not even use as much as you're using now because you're using mostly fossil fuels. So it, it, it's not going to work. Yeah. Something They're just that, not going to listen aside from anything. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. why would why they? Why should they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would be extremely irresponsible from their leaders to kind of cause extreme short-term harm to the population to support something that is far away in the future yeah. and they can only have a tiny impact on. Yeah. So this kind of preference for what's happening to me personally compared to what's happening all around and what's happening now compared to what's happening in, in 20 years, 50 years, whatever. Mm. So it's a it's a quite of nat natural to prefer the close and the today over the far away and far in the future point of view, which is a big, big problem in the climate thing, because for a long time, it has been something that's happening somewhere, mainly somewhere else and, and far in the future yeah. kind of stuff. It's, it's become more current, uh, lately. Um, but yeah, I, at the same time, we need to decarbonize extremely fast, but we need to have a plan. <laughs> <Not just. laughs> uh, yeah, it's yeah. always a good start. <laughs> yeah, we um, need to be yeah urgent, but not like stupidly urgent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So look, you've touched on nuclear there um, in your answer, and I. I want to make sure that we've got plenty of time to talk about nuclear so do you want to give me a brief intro on the the potential of nuclear power to provide and decarbonize our energy i'll leave a, a big open question there and then yeah, we can yeah. drill down into some of the details so <laughs> if you, you you know i know this is something you know a lot about so on the top level why should we be thinking about it and what are the what's the potential there? Yeah, well, why? Uh, it's 
it's reliable. It uses very little land. It uses uh, very little materials overall. It has a small environmental footprint. Um, so it's it's the best clean energy source that we have by these measures. Um, the problems. So so the potential is is well everybody gets their panties in a twisted when you say limitless but <laughs> <laughs> close to so uh, so to be clear nuclear could theoretically if it were embraced fully provide for all of our energy needs it would not be smart to do everything with nuclear but yes uh, i mean theoretically you can do that with anything uh, as long as you just build enough batteries and, and build enough overcapacity, for example, for solar. Right. Uh, there are right. these arguments right. that it's not a huge area that you need to fill with solar to supply all the energy that humanity uses. Uh, well, yeah. it is quite big, but uh, compared to the whole kind of Earth surface area, it's it's not that big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then and if you have batteries, then it would be reliable. And, you know, so you'd get around the the main problem yeah so yeah enough batteries and then then yeah yeah okay. pretty much okay. basically like that so you can do that with any why, source but why would, would it make advocate, sense why would you not advocate just doing that rather than building nuclear then <clears throat> mm, because i do think that the energy mix needs to be somewhat diversified okay uh like i said nuclear has the smallest footprint uh, yeah. pretty much by any measure it's also the safest energy source uh, so the environmental impact of going nuclear is smaller than pretty much anything else smaller than solar uh, yeah yeah solar takes a, quite a bit of area uh, yeah. it also takes quite a bit of materials and mining and stuff like that uh, sure then sure. you need the batteries which also take area and more mining and, and yeah 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 um, yeah Okay. Um, and apparently so, people fall from roofs and die when they install solar or will take this snow away or something like that. So it's, it's actually, yeah, might be more dangerous than nuclear. Wow. From even from accidents <laughs> yeah, per, per, <laughs> yeah, per, yeah. per energy unit. Yeah. Produced. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. God, that's a, that's a metric. How many accidental deaths per yeah, unit there's this, Yeah. Deaths per terawatt hour is, is the official metrics. How many okay. people die per terawatt hour of electricity produced? Wow. Okay. And so you what can has... Google that. There's there's some charts. And so what has the what has the lowest number of deaths per terawatt hour? No, I mean basically it's wind, nuclear, and solar. Right. They okay. each of them have a tiny because they're burning stuff will always be. Dangerous. harmful uh, yeah. because particles uh, go into our lungs and, and kill us prematurely. Uh, hydro is also quite safe, but we have had some extremely catastrophic hydro accidents that mm. have killed a lot of people. Yeah. So, so, okay. But as long as I'm it's sure, clean, sure it's also are, quite safe. I'm sure the hydro accidents are probably terrifying <laughs> yeah i mean there's nothing you can do yeah if yeah. you live downstream from a hydro dam and it for some yeah. reason bursts or explodes i mean you yeah. just 
you cannot go inside your house and stay there for a couple of weeks. No, no. House, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the house will go the same way as you, which is yeah, a long yeah. way downstream, I imagine. Indeed. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. So, so nuclear has has this great potential. I want to talk about the development of the technology, but first, I just want to get an understanding of why you think it's been so maligned why so there is this this almost visceral reaction against nuclear against this you know the kind of glowing green rock on the on the simpsons you know and all of this mm. this idea of the toxic waste that will turn us all into mutants there's this real kind of uh, almost like psychological reaction of disgust that a society seems to have had somehow to what is really as far as i can tell an extremely clean technology so like why do you think that is like is it all to do with the chernobyl accident or is like where has this come from and how justified is it mm, well now that you mentioned there's actually a great book about that the rise of nuclear fear by spencer Wert. i don't know okay. how to pronounce that um, okay i if just uh for for listeners uh, Rowley, if you don't mind sending me links to all the books that you've mentioned in the show, I'll put them all in the show notes so yeah. that anybody listening can um, go and check them out, your your books and, and the books that you've mentioned. Um, okay. So yeah, listeners, you'll find reference to this book in the show notes. Great. Um, so to put it very shortly, it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot, of, a lot of reasons, starting from this kind of fear of the mystical stuff because basically nuclear energy is as close to magic as you yeah. can get you're actually transmuting matter into new matter it's the original <clears throat> alchemy thing yeah yeah that that has a long history in in the public imagination uh of, of humanity and then harnessing this amount of power of energy it's almost like <clears throat> being a god. So there's also this kind of man should not play god type right. of narrative yeah. in our society. Yeah. Um, then there's the atomic weapons. Yeah. The Cold War that people got really scared about. Um, and then, well, I mean, the anti-nuclear movement and the environmental movement started all out as being anti-weapons testing, anti-atmospheric like right. weapons testing of nuclear weapons. Can you imagine that we blew up like a shit ton of nuclear devices in our atmosphere just for yeah. the fun of it, just to find out yeah. what it does and how it works? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that, was, that was crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, talking about doing dumb things with energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, and one of the versions of the story goes that they actually got this kind of surprise victory when the atmospheric nuclear weapons testing was banned quite fast after, because also the, the leaders of the world realized that, okay, this is not a smart idea. Yeah. Let's, let's try to ban this. And, and they, they made the ban. Um, so after that, the environmental movement which actually originally a lot of the people in there uh, liked nuclear 
because of the characteristics that we talked about earlier. It's clean and, and all this stuff. But then there came this kind of argument. Uh, well, there is a quote on this that imagine all the bad things that humans could do with that much energy. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's, it, it, it brings up a lot of bad stuff, <laughs> like bad yeah. ideas, but yeah. I mean, you should also imagine all the good stuff that we could do mm. with, with plentiful energy. There's a yeah. lot more of those. And we can do pretty so, bad stuff with <clears throat> electricity as well. You know, like, well, yeah. <laughs> and, and the thing is that if you have a lack of energy, then you start to do really bad stuff, right? Then yeah. you go to war to get energy. Then you burn your environment to get just heat. Uh, there's the deforestation, and then uh, that leads to all kind of problems with with uh, the soil eroding and all the stuff that in in, for yeah, example, yeah. Africa, where you have to walk for miles and miles on end to carry a uh, collect and carry a few sticks back home so you can cook food, and then you get lung disease from all the smoke and like it's a disaster yeah that's because of lack of energy bad stuff we have to do because we don't have clean energy so there's always that also that side to the story but yeah it's it's really complicated and at some point the environmental movement that was quite recent adopted this anti-nuclear uh position and they have managed to influence a lot of our institutions and, and people and leaders of that. And the kind of public narrative ha has for, for, for a long time, decades now, been quite anti-nuclear. We yeah. only discuss nuclear in a bad light. Let's just put it like that. Uh, only recently has the discussion around nuclear, for example, in, in the mainstream media, started to bring up uh, the benefits and the good sides like the reliability and security of supply and that it's zero carbon and all, all this stuff uh, of, of nuclear. F for a long time before that, it was only about the accidents, only about the waste, only about the cost, only about the project that took too long and uh, pro proliferation risk of weapons materials and, and all, only about the kind of risks and bad stuff, which are well managed, by the way, by the nuclear industry, mm. extremely well managed. I mean, can you imagine? Well, the thing is, when you ask people, what do you think the most dangerous energy source is? The most common answer is nuclear. Yeah, I would have even though that. we just discussed that it's actually the safest. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's yeah. like the mind that we have gone through as a society, like, ah, uh, and then what's the biggest problem? Nuclear waste. Well, and and there's this kind of it's this horrible stuff that that that's extremely harmful that kills people a million years into the future and and whatever. But then again, we have managed spent nuclear fuel, which is the high highly radioactive waste. Uh, so well that it has never harmed anybody in yeah. the 60 years that it has existed. So it cannot be that dangerous. It's a it's a bit like a fireplace. Uh, it's dangerous if you put your head 
into the fireplace when it's on. <laughs> but you can manage it by staying a little bit far away and having a, maybe something between you and the and the fire. Yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah. good. <laughs> so, so dangerous so on, but manageable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Right. So so on on the waste then. So let's. So I, I think a lot of people have this idea in popular consciousness that nuclear waste is this green sludge that's like you know like a like a vat of acid or something mm. all we're talking about here is rod, rods of, of metal right that need to be cased in something to stop them giving off radiation that presumably it, it might give you cancer or something and so you might die of some kind of cause of mortality but it's like how dangerous is it and so so it is just rods of metal right and how dangerous are they to be around, first of all? And then how is it managed? Um, yeah, so most of our reactors are so-called light water reactors, water-cooled and water-moderated, and the fuel is these kind of gummy bear-sized ceramic pellets, oh, really? which are inside the rod, which right. are in the assembly. And, and So there's actually multiple barriers that protect the environment uh, from the radiation. One okay. is the thing that it's ceramic, it's it's solid, so it, it doesn't leak, it doesn't yeah. dissolve uh, in, in, in the way that you see in The Simpsons. Yeah, it yeah. might be a green goo that's in the river or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There is liquid ra radioactive waste as well, uh, for example, from the weapons programs, but right. I would not mix that with civilian nuclear reactors. Okay. <clears throat> uh, so it's solid. It doesn't leak. It doesn't melt or, or dissolve in water. Uh, then you have the the, the rods, uh, which are zirconium metal, and, and they also protect it. And then you have the assemblies. So you have a lot of barriers. And, and the basic idea that is that you have a lot of these barriers that are not dependent on each other. So if, even if some, some of them fails, the other one will still protect you. And then, mm. of course, when you have spent fuel from straight from the reactor, fresh, it's extremely dangerous. It's very hot and very radioactive, which is why they, for example, move it underwater, because water is a great uh, barrier. A couple of meters of water stops all the radioactivity. So you could actually basically swim in a in a cooling pool of, of nuclear waste, because the waste would be there in the bottom, and there would be a couple of meters of water. Oh, wow. You, you just don't dive too deep. <laughs> right wow okay yeah. so <laughs> so okay, I, I mean i immediately i just think so it can't be that bad like you know if it's a couple of meters yeah. meters of water um obviously we don't live our lives underwater but uh yeah okay sorry yeah. and the the thing is that the more radioactive it is as it is in the start it's actually also a measure of how quickly it, it gets less radioactive so because it's the half-life right and uh in the beginning the most radioactive stuff is the ones with the shortest half-life right but they also disappear the fastest yeah yeah so uh after maybe let's say let's play it safe and say thousand years after thousand years spent nuclear fuel uh it's only ra uh, dangerous if you ingest it somehow right like eat it and even then the most of the harm comes from the fact that uranium is a toxic heavy metal and it will harm your kidney, not right. from the radioactivity. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's probably never a good idea to eat uranium then. Yeah, case. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't even even lick it, but because it's a toxic heavy metal, but radioactivity yeah. actually has not, not much to do with it. Uh, but again, this idea, if you compare it to the fact, uh, the, the, the public discussion about nuclear waste that, oh, it's deadly, it's the deadliest thing and it will be lethal for 100,000 years. That's just yeah. not true. I mean, you would literally have to go there, take the pellets, grind them to dust, snort them to your lungs, or or eat them uh, consistently, and even then the radioactivity would probably be the not the kind of thing that ends up harming you, but the yeah. actual toxic heavy metalness of of uranium. So, hmm. okay, so so the 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 waste is is stored and disposed of safely like we put it in like concrete tubes right and 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 lock it underground or or something yeah you have a cask uh, that you put the assemblies in uh, and there's actually a couple ways to do it uh, so far what we have done has been intermediate storage okay so it's like waiting there either in the pool of water or or in a uh, what's called dry casks, uh, which can actually be in a, like a parking lot outside. You have uh, they have a lot of this in in the United States. Oh, really? uh, they're storing storing the the spent fuel after it it has cooled down in 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 a water pool for some yeah. time. Then they put it in dry cask and it's air cooled, right. just outside. Uh, but the kind of ultimate goal is to have a long term. Or final disposal in, for example, a, a deep geological repository where you put yeah. the casks and then you fill it with bentonite and concrete and rocks and stuff like that, and it's like half a kilometer below the surface, and it's never gonna never gonna bother anybody again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, is that so? The the I mean the big. Uh, the big thing that I think sticks in people's minds from civilian nuclear that's a worry is uh, Chernobyl, right? And then more mm. recently, you've had the accident in Japan at, at Fukushima. Um, sh why should, like, uh, would you ever be worried that another Chernobyl could happen? And if not, why not? <clears throat> well, uh, Chernobyl is a design that would have never been built in the West. Right. Okay. So it was built by the Soviet Union. Um, and I don't know how deep into the details we need to go with that, but basically in, in the light water reactors in the West, if you take away the coolant, which is important to keep the fuel cool, uh, but it also transfers the heat to, to then make the power. If you take the coolant away, you also stop the reaction. Right. Because the water acts as the moderator for the neutrons flying around and, and which makes them more likely to hit another uranium atom and cause the chain reactor reaction. Yeah. Uh, but in, in the Chernobyl design, the RBMK, this is not the case. Okay. It uses graphite as the moderator, so actually, it could accelerate the 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 reaction if you take the water away, and 
then you would have nothing to take the heat. So no, it's not going to happen in West uh, simply because of this. Then again, there are still some Airbnbks, so Chernobyl-type reactors, operational in in Russia. Uh, they right. have been updated to kind of, and hopefully the operators have been trained a little better not to do uh, silly experiments. Yeah, which was the cause of the Chernobyl uh, accident. So <clears throat> theoretically, it's possible because there still exists operational Chernobyl type reactors, but mm. uh, they will be phased out in the well, I don't remember in the near future, let's say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, as long as you operate them strictly according to the manual, they are safe. Uh, humans are not always very good at that. So yeah, <laughs> that's, that's so why we had the yeah, and, and and there's not a worry that poor reactor design or poor management or maintenance could happen somewhere. You know, perhaps not in in Finland or in on, in the UK or, or France or whatever. But in if we're advocating to grow nuclear use globally, is there not some degree of concern that these this technology might be implemented badly and could lead again to catastrophic results <clears throat> well always concern when when humans are involved uh, but that's <laughs> that's why we design reactors nowadays to be kind of foolproof so right. even with humans making mistakes they cannot melt down or, or uh, and, and have automatic systems that rely on the laws of physics for example to cool down the reactor so the problem right. is if something happens and the reactor shuts, the, the reactor always shuts down automatically, uh, but you still need to cool uh, the fuel because there is some decay going right. on in the fuel, yeah. which causes heat, which can cause a melt, melting of, of the of the fuel, which can then release uh, a lot of the, uh, pro, uh, the, the fission products and radioactive uh, yeah. stuff. So the cooling is the kind of... Uh, important thing, which is why uh, s some of the next generation SMR, so small modular reactors or advanced reactors are often designed in a way that they are passively cooled. So you don't actually need to have a pump to circulate water. It's done with natural convection or, or, or something like that. Or, okay. or maybe it's a molten salt uh, that... Uh, houses the fuel so how can you have a meltdown accident if the fuel is already molten to begin with so that's like right. the operation normal operational status of of that so um so yeah, yeah i was going to uh, ask you about the small modular reactors um but so so what happened at fukushima then because that wasn't a disaster <clears throat> there was a natural disaster which wiped out yeah. um but but it didn't meltdown there was some risk that it might it did as as actually it. it did melt down okay yeah yeah um so three of the reactors i i i haven't read about it i we've wrote a chapter in our book the dark horse about this uh but that's a long time ago so um okay, okay. forgive me if i remember something something wrong but three of the reactors did, did have a meltdown and there was a radioactive release Let's just say that mistakes were made. Um, 
both early on in in Japan not building high enough walls to protect from some from tsunamis. Uh, right, apparently, okay. the international community had, had told them that you should do this, but <clears throat> then you have this human problem that in the Japanese culture, you do not question your superior. Right. Uh, and if the superior had decided that these walls are high enough, then building a bigger wall would have been admitting a mistake or somebody below him or her would have needed to go there and, and demand that bigger walls are built. So there was this kind of cultural thing that that is a human human factor there, which is why we need to design these things properly. Uh, but then again, so mistakes were married both before the accident, like not building a bigger wall um, and um, not having a spare diesel generator put somewhere a little bit far f- further away uh, and, and stuff like that. But also in the accident management, there was some mistakes that, that did end up causing the, the, the release and, and the meltdown of the fuel, at least partly. Uh, but yeah, that we have to remember that, the, for example, the number one reactor there, I think it was built in the 70s and maybe designed in the 60s without right. much computers. So uh, it was an unfortunate accident. It has and will cause no fatalities. So that's a relief. It, yeah. A good colleague of mine has said that it was an annoying mid-grade industrial accident that we made into something else. Because, right. I mean, you have quite frequently, you have industrial accidents that actually result in people dying. But yeah. in the Fukushima, nobody died. Well, there, there was a couple people that died, uh, but not due to the radioactive thing, but, but other things. I mean, 20,000 people died thanks to the tsunami. So it was a tsunami. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I guess in that context, it's actually, <laughs> you know, like, it's just a, an extremely tiny fraction of the total destruction done by a tsunami, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and yeah. I mean, basically, the biggest dis- destruction has been done since then uh, with the closures of nuclear fleets. Mm. Uh, both yeah. in Japan, but also in, in Germany, yeah. accelerated yeah. their plans. Yeah, that, I mean, that, Germany, it was plans. a crazy overreaction, wasn't it? Like, there's yeah. really yeah. No I mean, two ways How many it. tsunamis can you get in Germany? Yeah, um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so look, let's, uh, I, I, we've, uh, we're, we're coming up on an hour, and I want to talk about the future of the technology. So you mentioned small modular reactors. Is that the main and most exciting um, development in in the the technology behind nuclear or like I, I hear people talking about new nuclear um, yeah. as like this kind of next generation next wave of, of nuclear energy technology um, a small mod- are we are we essentially talking about small modular reactors or is there a whole host of different developments that uh, that, that are exciting in the field it's Small modular reactors is a very wide umbrella term okay. of different sizes that can be basically 10 times or even more different from in, in capacity. Okay. Uh, it also hosts 
widely different nuclear reactor technologies, but from light water reactors to heavy water reactors to lead cooled reactors, molten salt reactors, uh, gas cooled reactors of different types. So, so at the moment there's I think more than sixty reactor developers developing different types of advanced reactors or small modular reactors yeah. uh, around the world. So there's a lot of very exciting uh, development going on. Um, recently, there has been some disappointment. Some 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 of the developers have gone into trouble uh, financially and, and otherwise. Right. But that's to be expected. I don't think that we will have 60 different types of, of SMRs, uh, small reactors, uh, be, becoming commercialized. So uh, there's yeah. going to be a lot of consolidation. And and uh, hopefully we will get good designs that, that will be actually built in in, in large quantities. So I... I, I, I my, my kind of advocacy started with advanced reactors like the... Uh, breeder reactor okay uh, which uses the uranium the energy in the uranium fuel 50 to 100 times more uh, efficiently than a normal reactor wow. so I got really and that's it's not science fiction it, actually it was the, the first reactor that produced electricity to a light bulb was a breeder reactor in the United States Oh wow! Uh, called the experimental rea uh, breeder reactor number two, EBR two. Uh, so the, and and there's a couple running in 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 Russia at the moment, and a, a few startups are designing new types of breeder reactors. So so that's that's it's exciting, but it was sort of like a gateway drug to me to get excited <laughs> about this technology that's in the future and very very aspirational. And then I started to look into nuclear more in general and ended up finding out that, okay, these kind of giant light water reactors that we have are actually great. <laughs> uh, we just yeah. have to figure out the cheaper way and faster way to build them because yeah. apparently we have lost that, in, especially in the West. I mean, China, South Korea, these places, they build reactors on budget, on schedule, at low cost still. Uh, yeah. But uh, Europe and, and the United States have, North America has lost this kind of well, and yeah. it's it's partly because that if you don't do something for thirty years, then you will lose all the expertise, all the experienced project managers, all the yeah. supply chains will go away, uh, and and the whole industry, and then even the regulators don't know how to regulate new builds because yeah. they have not done it. All the people have retired that that used to do that that shit. So you have to relearn all that stuff, and that's going to take time and 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 money. I think there's a broader malaise, like, I mean, particularly here in the UK, I don't know about Finland, but here in the UK, it's like a running joke that we just can't build infrastructure anymore. Like we just, we, we had this yeah. high speed rail line that was supposed to be going from London up to the north of the country that's been going on for a decade. And then they mm. canceled it because they just can't, they can't get anything done. And, you know, the, we've had these nuclear power plants at, at Hinkley and, and Sizewell, I believe, that have been you know, on again, off again. Which yes, is, I mean, the problem with, with Hinkley, the, the, the actual construction project has been progressing quite well. But the problem right. was the 15 years of 
going on and off and discussing and and yeah, right, not getting to not the getting decision. anything done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is like, I mean, we need to find out how to avoid that. that yeah, that right. Stuff, but but it seems like there's this. It seems like it's. I mean, I may be wrong and, and extrapolating here, but it feels like in Westmall generally, we're getting slower. It is, it is a feature of feature of democracy if it's also a bug. Okay. Everybody yeah. has perhaps, as their perhaps, say, uh, and things don't move fast. But that also limits bad things from moving moving fast. So it's yeah. it's, it's it is a bug, but it's also a feature. It's actually then, one of the core about, features. If you think about the USA in like you know the last century, you know the USA in like the nineteen fifties and sixties, they were building everything left and right. You know they were yeah. going full speed ahead all the time. That was a democracy. You know How, what what's why can't why can't we run democracies like that anymore? Well, for example, the the liberty ships that they built like during the war, the key word there is during the war. Yeah. So yeah. it was a war economy that was yeah, not. Yeah. yeah, it was like built these things or else. Yeah. <laughs> uh, built these okay, things and okay. you will you will be compensated well and or else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, and and well, the thing is that you really have to do something multiple times to learn how to do it well. It's I mean, it's I know it's a novel thought, <laughs> but, but you get better at stuff that you yeah, do yeah, every yeah. day. <laughs> well, totally. And with with nuclear, you think our, 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 our the anchor of our understanding of nuclear is so rooted in like 1960s technology, right? Um, and like the the initial designs of, of of nuclear power plants, and you know, I don't know when the Chernobyl reactor was designed, but probably like what the fifties or sixties, mm. right? Yeah, if you think there. about any other field of technology, how far it's come from the designs of the nineteen fifties to the present day. You know, look at a computer, right? <laughs> like the nineteen fifties computer, <laughs> it's an entire room of spinning things, right? And now it's in your pocket and it does like more things than you could ever have imagined. Presumably yeah. you, you have a rate of progress in any technological development. You know, people just can't remap their understanding of technological advance onto nuclear. I think because it's quite technical and quite sort of industrial yeah. and they're just not that interested in it. But presumably there'll have been a similar kind of dramatic increase in the quality of the technology. Yeah, and I mean... Funnily enough, that's also a little bit of a problem with nuclear. <laughs> uh, right. The thing is that they are big projects that, that you need to decide on like 10, 15 years before the product actually gets built. Right. And if you have right. a lot of uh, like improvements, like steadily coming into the design, then you never get to decide that, okay, this is when we lock it in and this right. is the one that we will build. Yeah, yeah. And I'm then five years after you made that decision, when you actually start building it, there is a new design, and, and maybe the regulator has changed some regulations, and and you need to apply those some changes to the design. And so it's actually it's a little bit of a problem with nuclear industry that we would have to lock in a design when it's good enough, instead of always pursuing the perfect. Right. Like yeah. the next one will be perfect and the next one will be perfect. So let, uh, I'm not going to buy this one. I'm not going to, we have to lock in and agree that, okay, we're going to make a hundred of these. And then maybe the version two 
we will spend 20 years developing that and, and doing that and focus on cost efficiency instead of endlessly going for more and more and more safety features which add up cost yeah, uh, yeah. and then after we build hundreds of these maybe we build another hundred of, of those are uh, there any technologies that where, where the where the advance is that it's quicker to implement so are there any reactors that you could yes build and deploy quickly thank thank god that has been the design uh, one of the design principles of of the advanced reactors many times is to like it they should be easy to construct for example there are some designs that are designed to be mounted on a barge and built in a shipyard shipyards are the most efficient ways people have come up to make large things while going into the middle of forest and constructing something from relatively small parts or modules is the least effective so yeah. that's how we've been building this new, new big nuclear project. But if you could build, build something in a shipyard or maybe a factory like an SMR, they're often designed to be factory manufactured. So you okay. have a module that's then just shipped into a location and assembled there instead of like creating it from parts. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's and, and the global shipyard capacity is surprisingly immense. We make thousands of ships each year and uh well a lot of those are actually oil and gas production and exploration stuff so if we yeah, could yeah. make those into nuclear ships instead we would actually be replacing the energy need that nuclear okay. ships so, yeah, yeah you could you could you could well if i just to throw out the scale here we have let's say we have a little bit more than 400 gigawatts of nuclear capacity around the world you could build that much in the shipyards with just the spare capacity that we already have now in a year. Wow. That's a hell of a stat. Yeah. I mean, so why don't we do that, it? The, so why well, are we not I, doing this then? I did a study or two um, about this uh, a couple of years ago, um, in which I kind of and, and my co-authors as well try to kind of ask this question why are we not doing this and, yeah. and it's actually progressing uh, last i think it was in october last year the iaea which is the international watchdog of of the nuclear industry held its first kind of seminar conference for floating nuclear power plants that are built well, I mean, they could be floating or they could be attached to the bottom of the seabed or, or whatever. But but the key key here is that they would be manufactured in a shipyard and then you could tow them anywhere in the world. Right. Yeah, the right. Okay, thing yeah. would be that you are making them in the same place very efficiently, learning with the yeah. same crew instead of like every project having a 5,000 people from at least 50 different countries not speaking the same language and then you try to manage how to construct yeah, the thing. Yeah, you have yeah. the same team doing the same thing over and over. So that gets really efficient, really fast. Yeah. Yeah. So that's actually stuff that should be coming uh, more okay. and more in the, in the, in that's the near exciting. future. Yeah. I found that very exciting. Extremely. Yeah. 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 Um, awesome. Okay. And so look, I, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap shortly. We've, we, we don't have too long left. You've been very generous with your time. Um, is there anything that I haven't covered here in terms of the potential or new technologies or things that you're personally excited about 
that you think would be good to 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 get out there before we kind of wrap up? Is there anything I've missed? Well, I mean, uh, I guess just the broad scale and urgency of if if we are to decarbonize in time for to keep warming around two degrees or somewhere there. Um, we need this kind of change that we build a hundred gigawatts of new nuclear every year for that to happen. Um, you probably heard about this hydrogen hype economy yeah. thing for the last some years. Yeah, yeah. So if you do the math and you look at how much fossil fuels we use now or how much the pro, uh, like forecasts see that we would use in 2050 or something like that, you would need maybe a billion tons of hydrogen per year just to make a dent in that, like to replace the fossil fuels that we are still seeing will be used in, in different applications by 2050. So to make a billion tons of hydrogen, you would need maybe almost double the current global electricity production wow. just to make that hydrogen. Just so that's the hydrogen, the, like the yeah. scale. And yeah. you really need to have something like a shipyards manufacturing these things in, in, in series to kind of even approach those, those numbers. So, yeah, I mean, that's, to be honest, that's, that's this kind of factory made reactors is, I mean, we should still build big reactors as well, because that's now something we we have been learning how to do and we have been doing and that's something that we can do now uh, so let's not kill the nuclear construction industry again in europe for example because now we have we built stuff in finland we built stuff in france built stuff in the uk and in the east eastern europe uh, but for example if you if you look at these newcomer countries poland you have estonia Sweden is planning new reactors. France has just announced that they maybe need more than a dozen new reactors. We will need a whole, the kind of demand for skilled labor and supply chains to, to manage all that building in the next 20, 30 years. We need to build that. Yeah. It's it's going to be a challenge. The bottlenecks there are, are existent and are real. So that's something that we need to focus on. Meanwhile, we also plan for these kind of shipyard-made or factory-made uh, smaller reactors that we can deploy maybe also for industrial heat purposes. As we talked, industrial heat is, is a big portion of our energy use that's not well served with big reactors that make only electricity or mainly electricity. Mm -hmm. You can do something with, uh, because, I mean, the, the nuclear reaction creates heat. Yeah. You turn into steam and then you run a turbine. So you could use that steam for an industrial purpose as well, but it's not very high quality in, in terms of temperature yeah. from the current. So you would need advanced reactors to get hotter steam and, and, and to make, for example, hydrogen more efficiently for, for various purposes. And But if we, if we could, if we could it, like use nuclear for everything else or a mix of nuclear and renewables for everything else, if all of our transport became electrified, apart from perhaps, you know, uh, transport that requires higher, uh, you know, better aviation uh, energy density, like, yeah. like, 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 you know, shipping and, and, and shipping and high, high tonnage yeah. haulage and that sort of stuff potentially could use hydrogen. 
but that's if that's or synthetic fuels made from hydrogen. Okay. But then, so just Easy. as a general point here, if we were able to do all of that, then presumably it wouldn't be the end of the world if we were still using some natural gas to for, to, to run industrial processes. I mean, obviously, it, it wouldn't be ideal to be emitting anything, but the scale of the impact would be greatly reduced, right, if, if, if that's all that yeah. you needed to use it for. I mean, the last 20% is going to be the hardest and the last 5% is going to be even harder and the last 2% are even harder. So yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't focus on those. I would just focus on getting to scale as fast as possible because there's plenty of fossil fuels to replace yeah. even in and loads of low electricity fruit, production. Right? Yeah. That, so that's probably the easiest thing, right, is, is, is consumer electricity going completely... Yeah, I mean, the, the, the two steps that you need to go is uh, electrify everything and then produce that electricity cleanly. Yeah. yeah. But you cannot electrify everything because fuels are superior in, in some uses. For example, aviation, especially long distance. You can have some electric airplanes flying shorter distances, but if you want to switch a continent then then it's going to be a rocket or an airplane yeah and that's because of energy density right <clears throat> yeah yeah you, you just yeah. there's limited space and weight that you can use yeah. for your energy source and batteries are very heavy uh, yeah i heard yeah, somewhere i heard somewhere that um some multi-story car park. I don't know if this is true. It might just be a myth, but some multi-story car parks yeah. in uh, certainly here in the UK, maybe everywhere, aren't going to work anymore because there's too many electric cars uh, that have got heavy batteries and they're not designed to carry all of the weight. Oh wow! Um, so they'll well, stop. Uh, they are a little bit heavier, yeah, in general. But yeah, you I could don't maybe know. add fifty percent of the total weight. Yeah. Huh. Well, you just have to have lesser less cars. I guess you could. You finally have big parking spaces. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> one car is going to take yeah. two places because they're heavy. Yeah, yeah. People love their cars, man. Um, cool. Okay. Well, look, um, it's been awesome to talk to you, Rally. I really appreciate you giving me so much time. Um, you're extremely knowledgeable about this. I feel like I could sit here talking to you about. Uh, energy and, and geopolitics and, and all of it all day. Um, mm. It's a super interesting subject. And yeah. look for what it's worth. I'm I'm with you, man. Like this this idea of of, of getting the shipyards churning out uh, reactors quickly, deploying them quickly, and decarbonizing quickly with 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 good renewable. Uh, sorry, not renewable, reliable energy. Sounds to me like a plan. Um, so. Yeah. Thanks very much for joining me. And uh, it's been great having you on. Yeah. Thanks for, for the invite. And uh, let's talk again. Awesome. Yes. Uh, so st stick with me. I'm just going to stop recording and make sure that it's uh, uploading.